0: Hi there, I'm Deb Crow and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature Or title, so please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the imperfect heart-centered leadership podcast. I I love what you're bringing to neurodiversity as a whole. So let me let me jump into my leadership questions. You have said to me that you feel ninety percent of human being being human beings being misunderstood come from an unawareness that we mix our conversations, our human conversations, with system-relevant issues. What do you mean by that?
1: Okay. So everybody knows Simon Sinek. He is very humane. He uses leadership on the humane side. But still, even with him, and I think he's very aware of it, but even with him, I think he doesn't, at least he doesn't say that, I separate I separate human relevance and I think the compartmentalizing of separating human relevance versus system relevance let me give you an example you you might lose your job that's system relevant that's you know that's generating stress in you uh you might you know don't get the race somebody else get the race or you get the race it it is it, all system relevant but if you cut Let's say you cut yourself or your daughter is sick. Let's say your daughter is sick. Even though in Europe, for example, they're very much about, you know, it's okay for the system that you stay home. But even in Europe, people, it's not as extreme as here. But in Europe, even people feel uncomfortable not going to work. There is no such thing as lazy because in nature doesn't exist lazy. That is um, human. And this is like, like lazy. It's like human adapt. Guilt, fu- future f- fear, you know, fear of the future. So we are not separating and saying, okay, let's think about this in a, in a big thing. There's nature and we are still part of nature. We are species of nature. And we don't see it so. Whenever you heard the last time somebody says, we are a, a, a nature species, we are like an elephant or whatever. Nobody says that, but we are. We have lost over generation. The separation where we get born uh, in a hospital, a system, we get baptized, a system, we get raised in school, system, we go to university, a system, we get a job, it's a system, we marry, is a system. Okay? So we have lost touch of where we belong. Like we are playing Monopoly game in systems, that's a game. But we are still, and we make money in that. And I'm not saying anything against systems. I'm just saying it's the awareness. There's a monopoly game. You know there's rich people or poor people, whatever. And it has nothing to do with how, how good they are as humans or how relevant they are as humans. So now the separation that you actually feel that teeter-totter, shall I stay with my daughter, but I need to make money to make, to, to survive, you know? There should be in, in natural, if we look at it from a humanist perspective, there should be no bad feeling. Your focus is on your daughter or on you if you injured yourself. To get into balance, to get the maximum human potential out, to contribute you the game. And that's we have lost that. We have lost that because if you're not a good uh, you know, if you're not a good employer, we go gotta get exchanged. But the fact that you are not a good employee is often because you try to adapt to the system versus, you know, stand in your humanity and say, you know, I'm a human first, because which system can work without humans? Even if you have AI, without humans, systems are completely irrelevant. Even if you get have no workers in the system, AI has to be in a way that it can tend to humans. Otherwise, why would you use your AI? So, the compartmentalizing of this, and, the, and here comes the kicker, in nature, you have, you're worthy because you exist. So the ant, I always say the same example because it's such a good visualization, the ant and the elephant are the same. They have different function in the, and what systems tells you you, can If I can do it, you can do it. And that's the biggest lie. And it's a shaming lie. And leaders must know that because they must know how to keep the team. I think that the number one leadership trait that you, every leader should have, he needs to be the most self-aware person in the whole company. If he's not the most self-aware, then he's the wrong leader. He should be the most self-aware because his job is not to, to lead and say you do this and you make this or we should do this and that but he should make the he should allow the team to be in balance and harmony like in nature then you get the maximum out of a team when you don't need to micromanage when you don't need to do things you allow you're just basically not putting out fires that's already too far you're just balancing the whole thing You look at the people, you talk to the. you connect to the people. And you, it doesn't matter how many people, you just make sure everything is balanced.
0: Tell me, both of you, we'll let you go first this time, Monty. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership?
2: You you name it. (laughs) (laughs) When I knew I was going to be on this this program, I I said, you know what, I'm perfect for this because I got a heck of a lot of it. So I, I, I think, I think the hardest thing is just looking at things, you know, with, with a level of emotional intelligence, right. It's, it's, it's like, you know, not, not judging people, you know, trying to put yourself in their shoes, Um, you know, ha- having, having humility, understanding, you know, where people are and dealing with them, you know, from a place that, you know, you understand they're at and then, you know, and then helping them succeed. So, you know, for for me, it's it's kind of forgetting about how I used to manage people in the corporate world, and and really, you know, looking at it just from a from a completely different perspective. Which is okay, we're we're here now. This is this is what we're trying to do. We've got to move forward. How do we, How do we do that? How can we work together to make this you know as effective as possible? And so for me, it usually boils down to apathy and humility and candor. And just doing those things that, that I didn't do a lot of in my previous career.
0: And from an imperfection standpoint, are you patient or impatient?
2: That That is one of my attributes. I, I am fairly patient.
0: That, that's a frequent flyer on the show. So I thought I'd, I'd throw it in. How about you, Wei?
3: Oh, I'm absolutely impatient. That's why we work together. So the issues that I run into in leadership is at times I'm way too much of a visionary. So I, we come up with these great ideas. I throw all these ideas out and and it's that stereotypical visionary thing where it's like, I may put four or five things up on the whiteboard as we're talking and send everybody out. I've got a clear idea of what we're doing, but there might've been five years worth of activity in what I just laid out. And I just had this happen last week. I walked in and somebody was working on something and I said, why are you working on that now? And they said, well, because you said, you know, in, in our staff meeting, you said you wanted to know this. Well, yeah, I didn't mean that for another year. I just, well, I know we can't get there now. And here they'd spent two days actually trying to figure something out. That's a long-term thing. So I don't do a good job of communicating that. Vision, The when you get these visionary ideas and you're not, I'm not great at breaking that down into detail, I you can make them happen, but getting them broken down To a point where it's actually manageable and allowing people to come along for that ride. So what it causes is it causes them sometimes to feel like they're not accomplishing what I'm looking for because they're not making the steps fast enough. And I didn't expect that and I don't communicate it well enough. And then on the short-term things, the reason that's a problem is because on the short-term things, I get... I would call it impatient and I think other people would probably call it impatient. It's, I don't think that's what it is. I think I get very excited about something. So I want to get it done now and it comes across as impatience.
0: Okay. My second question is fun. It's, it's got permanent residency on the show. I've had over 220 leaders answer this question. So I'm excited to hear yours. Laughter is permitted. And just remember, it's only a 30-minute show, though. All right. What imperfections does Danny bring to his heart-centered leadership?
4: Yeah, so imperfections I bring. The, the biggest strength and the biggest weakness is my passion, right? One thing I have to be very conscious of is that my passion doesn't turn to intensity, And there are times where my passion turns to intensity. My passion is contagious. It gives hope. It inspires. It unites people. It excites people. My intensity scares people and pushes people away. It causes me to lose trust. It drives fear and anxiety. And so that is one of the things that I have to be very, very conscious of. And then the second is consistency. As a person that is is a visionary, Is creative uh, more to the innovative side. One thing that that can often happen is I can be fired up and moving full speed ahead, but I'm you know, consistency on my uh, Cliff Strengths Finder is dead last, and so that's something that I have to work on and you know, and, and be more intentional with. And the one thing I try to do is demonstrate humility and vulnerability to be upfront and honest with our team members about what my weaknesses are and ask them that if, if they come out, please say something to me because I'm always trying to show up the best version of myself, the best leader for them, but I'm only human so that there's no way that can happen. It can't always happen.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, it makes me think of the 360 feedback. Why can't we just behave that all the time within a healthy vital culture?
4: Excellent. Excellent point. We, You know, I I believe feedback's the breakfast of champions. I've seen that somewhere. I adopted it immediately. I don't know who said it the first time. But in order for us to grow, in order for us to meet our value of commitment to excellence, we've got to be committed to getting 1% better each and every day with the recognition that excellence isn't a destination. It's just a place we can visit from time to time if we're leaving it all in the field and bringing our very best. But the only way we can do that and be sure we're doing it, not just think we are, is through that feedback, it is truly a gift.
0: Well, and and you know, if it can be done in the moment, like you said, I think when a leader is being truly heart-centered and and like you said, can, can just demonstrate and say, here's my weaknesses, because we know C-suite leaders, they hire their team who are smarter than them in all the different areas. And then if we take it one layer deeper, Just share what your weaknesses are so then you can get feedback in the moment. I think it saves so much time.
5: Well,
4: it it does. It's the accelerator. It's a great accelerator of trust. And if we wanna have psychological safety, if we want people to be able to share their weaknesses, ask questions when they don't know the answer, admit when they made mistakes, they've gotta feel safe and comfortable to do that. And the way we create that safety and that comfortable space is to model it, is to lead by example in that area ourselves. You know, one of the things I often say is our relationship with failure is one of the most important relationships we'll ever have. And as long as we're always looking to fail forward, as leaders, we gotta be there to dust our people off, right? Pick them up, dust them off, get them going. But I ask our people when I fall, when I stumble, please pick me up, dust me off, give me a word of encouragement so I can get going in the right direction as well. And we create environments like that, very high levels of psychological safety. People can give feedback, they can show up and contribute as their full selves.
0: Absolutely. This is why I wanted you on the show. So uh,
4: good. So much fun. Thank you.
0: I'm I'm excited to showcase you as a heart-centered man, a heart-centered executive, and I think our goal today is just to have a fun conversation to let people know that I've often said on the show our sector doesn't matter where we live and do business doesn't matter. And, and what does that mean? We're, we're a borderless society now with technology. And I think COVID has really allowed people to stop and pause and really prioritize what's important. And at the end of the day, we're all in the people business, which I know you love talking about. So I'm going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, I'm going to dig right in and I'm going to ask you my first leadership question and imperfections allowed on the show it's it's the title so (laughs) laughter going off on a tangent telling us something great all permitted so my first question and I really thought of you when I crafted this what is the greatest part of being a COO and for those of you just a reminder chief operations officer if this acronym's new to you
6: yeah that's a good question um you know, for for operations people, I mean, the given end, it looks things like supply chain and, and moving product around. But for me, it's about the people. And uh, so what makes the organization great? You know, from a couple perspectives, I think the first one is really, you know, I have a, a real privilege as a, as a leader in the business to be able to develop the future leaders of the, of the organization. And they don't have to necessarily be operations people, but just people in general. I love that. The challenges of of organizational design and succession planning and identifying untapped potential and and building career paths for people and and for me that is the sort of the puzzle or the or the riddle that that separates sort of really amazing organizations from from other organizations is really how those people are given opportunities and, and mentorship and things like that so. For me, watching people sort of grow and succeed and and um, under your care it, it is really one of the sort of the greatest gifts of, of leadership. Uh, I love it when people put up their hand and say they want to do more. I mean, the, the raw material they have to work with and, and anxious people that want to learn and succeed is is a main and, so, and and I think you know you brought up a good point about COVID culture changing a lot of things. I mean, for me. As a CEO, the other privilege I have is learning from those same people. The future leaders of of our organizations over the last few years, you know, under the cloud of COVID have really learned to adapt and communicate differently and embrace technology and and find different leadership styles of their own. And, And for someone who's been in business for a while... It's been a real opportunity to learn from those people, watch how resilient they are, how flexible they are, and most kind of things. So, it, it's really been on sort of a tremendous opportunity to get closer to to a team of good people as they as they navigate their way through sort of different scenarios. So that's been that's been fine for for me as a, as a CEO. But I think probably the, the last sort of big thing for me is you know the partnership I get to have with. You know, my, my peers in the, in the business, if you're if you're lucky in business to be a COO, I think um, you'll find a really good partner in a CEO and, you know, you'll get the opportunity to be sort of a co-CEO and a CEO in an organization. You know, for me, I, I have a really good CEO partner that I work with. You know, we share our, our values, our vision, our purpose, our, our heart-centered approach to, to leading business. Transparency, communication, the, the importance we place on people, so having that, that partnership is a great part of being that CEO in an organization. It's being able to to make a difference and have somebody you know have the support and somebody in your organization help to do that.
0: Okay, my first question is, you talk a lot about the best use of your power, and again, this is in the context of leadership is to give it away. Tell us what you mean by that and, and how you were able to exercise that and when you couldn't exercise it. Because I always love to give the listeners, we don't wanna give them a half cup full. We want them to see, I tried to do it here and it didn't work and this is why, and I did it here and this is why it did work. Give them that real life example and coming from the root of law enforcement, I think this will be really impactful. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say.
5: Well, thank you for that question, and uh, it always leads me to that beginning question of uh, what do I do to make the problem worse when I look at a problem? When I took over a city in Massachusetts of 40,000 people, uh, we had a higher crime rate per capita than our capital city of Boston, and I was brought in to do a war on crime, to decrease violence and crime. and So, To make a long story very short, uh, we did try enforcement and it didn't work. So I began meeting with one of the things that was happening in my community, which is the same in many communities, most communities across the U.S., was the highest rate of violence was occurring in the minority communities. And one of the things that I realized was we need to be talking to people in this community. And I remember... Talking uh to my commanders when I had taken over, and I said, Who do we talk to in this community? And one of my commanders came in with a stack of lawsuits about 12 inches high and put them on my table and said, That's how we talk to the community here. They sue us and we defend ourselves. And most of the times we win. So I had to start at ground zero. I had to find out who who was who was even in my community. So and I began doing that, meeting with people off the, off the job, but also on time. I was very much out of my office, which was not traditional in this department. And uh, finally, one day I got approached by a woman, a Latino woman, a uh, young woman in her 30s, brilliant, who's gone on and got her doctor's degree in Calif- and has her own organization in California today. But she was a young then, and uh, she was working, called in because the school system the public school system at the high school had a dropout rate of 40% for the minority students, right? And she was brought in as a consultant to try to do something to make this better. And she came to me as the police chief and she didn't have a good experience with police in the past, but she knew she had to kind of like touch who I was. And uh, I asked her, I said, where are all the Latino men in this community that I can talk to? I mean, you know, what... What can I do here? And she says, well, what are you doing about it? I said, what do you mean? She says, you got all the power. You got the guns. You got the offices. You got the cars. You you got the budgets. You got the millions. What are you doing about it to make it better? And my first gut reaction was, uh, and then I started to think, wait a minute. So this began a listening process where she introduced me to a number of Latino mothers who were very concerned about their kids that were going to school and how they were being discriminated against school and how they were being thrown out. And okay, so one day I went up to the high school just for the fun of it, just to get a a feel. And I'm standing in front of the high school, and the disciplinarian of the school is standing out in front of the high school screaming at a 16-year-old Latino kid outside the building saying, you're 16 next week, Jose, and I'm kicking you out. Because in Massachusetts, you can do it. That's how they were handling the problem, and then they'd pass it on to me. So these problems were not mutually exclusive, they were connected. So I began to see it, and I began to listen. And then once I began listening and gaining trust, that was when things began to really change. It wasn't, it was through giving away my power. And using my power to speak up as a white police chief and to say to my community, you know, out loud that we have a problem here with systemic racism and we need to deal with it. And this was back in 2005. And we brought in some experts from outside the community and we did a task force of 40 people, leaders in the community with minority group for the first time. And they did a we did a two day training and facilitated workshop where we came out with two things. First was the presence of institutional racism, which blocked people from accessing the system, not intentional. And the other was lack of economic opportunity for at-risk youth. So the first thing we were able to do, which was easy, was I turned around and took a lot of my drug confiscation money. Instead of using it for enforcement, I used it to create jobs, as did other people in my community. But this whole thing of systemic racism, when the Latino gentleman announced that as one of the findings with the 40 people in the room, three people immediately stood up and said they wanted no part of talking about racism. That's not what this was about. And those people were one, two were university presidents and one was the publisher of a newspaper. And that's when I took my power and stood up as the white police chief and said, yes, we are going to talk about it. So... That's kind of an example on the home front of how I did it.
0: Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing heart-centered guest. If you like the show, Feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com and watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart Centred Leadership Playbook, coming in September.